0: Hey guys, <clears throat> man, I'm filled up. I mean, I'm like, are you guys filled up? Yeah. It's just like, it's almost feel like this is just dessert. Like after like a big meal, right? You ever go to a restaurant and you just like, Oh, I'm so hungry, but you fill up, but you don't leave any room for dessert. Right? Well, here's the dessert. Okay. <laughs> Les was, Les was talking about beauty. You know, one, one of the things that I find the most beautiful is when I'm driving You guys ever, ever drive down the highway and there comes a point or down, down like a busy street and here comes two lanes and we have to, and they have to like merge at the same time. And you're thinking like, okay, is this car going to do what he's supposed to do? And is this car going to do what he's supposed to do? And like, and merge correctly where this guy takes a turn and this guy takes a turn. Isn't it beautiful when everybody like actually like merges correctly and everybody does what they're supposed to. And we just like keep moving. What's weird is that like we're going 80 70 you know I, I'm sorry I don't go 80 miles an hour 55 60 miles an hour <clears throat> uh we're moving through space in a uh, a 1-ton 2-ton vehicle here at 80 miles an hour and we all know what to do acting in perfect harmony it's a beautiful thing am I the only one no it's 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 beautiful because you know what we're seeing We're seeing humanity sort of played out in in how we interact with each other when we're driving. When people kind of fit in together, you know, it's it's like it's a beautiful thing. That's the first thing I thought of. Well, this morning I'm going to close. I think I'm closing out this whole Agape Yourself series. Um, And what we've been doing is talking about the right way of loving. Hold on. Let me turn off my family chat because I'm getting bombarded with text messages. Okay. Um, we've been talking about what the right way of loving yourself looks like, you know, and we didn't delve deep into like the definitions of love and the different ways that the scripture presents it and all the different Greek words. But I love the way Les just simplified it. And it's, it's whatever, however, God loves you. This is the way we should love ourselves. And last week, Let's preach uh, out of First Corinthians 13, out of that passage of scripture that we've heard, um, we hear a lot used at weddings because it's such a pure and holy and, and just a beautiful description of what love actually looks like, right? And when we agape ourselves, it's, it's such a tough thing to do because, first, we don't really know what it means to agape ourselves. This is what scripture's for is to help enlighten us and, and to shed light on what, what, what does that actually mean? It's not being patient and being kind and being, and being uh, selfless to other people. It has to start uh, to ourself, right? There's a joke um, that I read. Would you take a million dollars if you knew the person you hated the most would get $1 billion? Think about it for a second. Okay, you would take a million dollars, but the person you hated the most would be a billion. I would say yes, because I would be one billion and one million dollars richer. It's kind of a dark turn there. (laughs) huh? I know. We all, this is, yeah, you get it? Sometimes sometimes we can beat ourselves up, right? And we say, oh, man, I really hate myself for doing this sometimes. I really hate the way I acted in the past. I really h- hate the way that I, I, I talked to my wife or I disciplined my kids or the way I was acting at work and treated my employees. I really, I mean, we can beat ourselves up about that. But the way that God describes that we should love each other, especially the way Les was, was preaching about last week, it was so foreign. It's almost foreign to my natural mind because... Because there, there are there are so many instances in my past that would, that would try and in my experience, that are just begging for me to hate myself. And we can walk through life hating the way that we've acted in the past, but thank God that we have—we're now living out of this this redeemed, and We're going to talk about this. We're living out of something else that's 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 different. It's new. It's 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 something we haven't experienced, and it's weird. It's a weird kind of fumbling, stumbling forward because we've never—we don't know. We don't have any point of reference. We know what God says about us, but now it's time for us to actually live that out. And the problem is, <clears throat> a lot of us will go back. To those old habits, including the people, including people in the church, out of the church, whatever. We'll go back to the old habits of, 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 of not just feeling shame, but condemning ourselves and hating ourselves and um, all of those things. So there's a right way to love ourselves, but today we're going to talk about the wrong way that we love ourselves. There's a thing, there's a wrong way to love yourself that what I'm going to, I'm going to refer to as self-love. And self-love is something that's been around a long time. Now, where agape love would be patient, right? And I, I, and I love the way that Les was talking about, like using this, using that portion of scripture to, to speak to ourselves, right? We're patient with ourselves. God's agape love is 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 uh, is 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 not in a hurry or a rush for you to change and you to transform overnight. He's patient. But where self-love is impatient with, with ourselves, we want to see change happen, like right when we say the prayer, right when we ask God for deliverance from X, Y, and Z, if we don't see it right away, then we don't, it, it's almost like we don't take, the, we don't give God the time to, op, to begin to operate and transform us, right, we're impatient, where agape is kind, where agape is extending a hand of love, Self-love will be cruel. Self-love would, would, would point the finger at you just much like the enemy would like an accuser and say, you know what? You're not good enough to receive the love that God wants to give you. And where, where agape is, is not self-seeking and it's not about... it's. It, it It's not requiring something from you to give to me. A self-love is all about me. It's all centered around what I want, what my desires are, what my needs are in that moment. That's self-love. <clears throat> now, like the joke, we, hate, we, we joke about how much we hate ourselves for doing all that, you know, In in hindsight, it's always twenty twenty. But in those moments of us of us uh, making those mistakes, in the moments of those experiences of how we were self-seeking and we were either impatient or cruel to other people or to ourselves, what we're doing is actually acting in a way of self-love. In at that time, you know. And what I want to I'm going to unpack this a little bit. But self-love is actually the highest form of self-hatred, disguised as love. And you, when you're thinking that you're actually fulfilling all those wants and desires for yourself. You're loving yourself. At the same time, you're really hating yourself because it's putting you on a path to death and destruction. And the difference between us and animals is our reason, is our ability to reason out certain situations. In an animal, what's interesting is if he finds himself in a situation where he knows he's going to be in danger, if he knows that, uh, much like rats would on a, on a, on a, uh, sinking ship are trying to look for the way out to survive humans. On the other hand, it doesn't matter what the outcomes are. We will continue down a path of death and destruction. And that is the highest form of self hatred because you know where that leads. And yet we still, we still want to fulfill those needs and those desires. Now, self-love has been around a long time, right? Since the beginning of time. And I don't want to, Step on any toes here because we have a lot of people from the baby boomer generation represented here this morning, right? How many baby boomers do we have? If you don't know, anybody born from 1946 to 1964? Yes? Hands, hands raised? Okay. Now, you guys have a lot of names for your generation, right? The greatest generation? Yes. Now, you know you have another name that was pinned or that was came- come up with in the 1970s. You know what that is? Anybody? It's called the me generation. Has anybody heard of that? Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. Back in the 1970s the adults at that time was calling your generation the me generation right because you because you what you did you started to use these phrases like self actualization and self realization self fulfillment it was almost a cultural priority to go out and seek yourself rather than rather than the needs of society or the fellow man you remember that david yeah so the adults at that time were calling your generation the me generation and it's funny now the millennials seem to be the they call they've dubbed the millennials the me 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 generation. Okay? <laughs> and honestly, universally, whatever generation comes comes after you is going to be a me generation, right? Okay? What was funny is that in the in the nineteen in the nineteen seventies, there was a movie that came out that was like a stark or a very descriptive social commentary on what the me generation actually was. I'm going to put the picture up. You guys remember this pic, this movie? You guys remember that? Willy Wonka? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It was written by an English writer named Roald Dahl. He wrote Matilda, the BFG. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that was, that was um, uh, adapted into the movie Willy Wonka, which he wasn't really a huge fan of. But here's Willy Wonka, and what it, <clears throat> it's funny is that the whole movie is about the kids. There's Willy Wonka in the middle, and you guys remember all the characters? You see the, gir- the girl on the left is Violet Beauregard. We have Charlie there. We have Veruca, Mike TV, Augustus Gloop. You guys remember all these characters? Right, um, I remember watching this as a kid, and you remember when the kids all get invited to the factory, and they like go into the factory, and one of the first things they come across is this like weird room. Everything is like real big, and then and then and then they have to get to the front door, and everything gets really small. And once they are able to squeeze through the door, what's what's on the other side? Do you guys remember? No, it was it was candy, right? Any kids dream they walk into this huge garden, everything is edible. Do you guys remember that with the chocolate river? And what's funny is that like, this is like every kid's imagination just running wild, right? Anything you pick up, remember, uh, one of the girls grabbed a little teacup off of a flower and she drank something or no, that was Willy Wonka. He drank something and then he bit it and people were just like, just Urgh. <laughs> now it was funny. One of the first kids who ends up getting like killed off basically is Augustus Gloop? Augustus is representing something in America at the time. Um, you, you could—I don't know. You, I don't want to call it the seven deadly sins, but you could uh, attribute the sin of gluttony to Augustus Gloop. And it's funny because when we're at the dinner table and somebody's eating like very, like, like they haven't eaten or, or they're starving, we'll usually say, "Calm down, Augustus," you know. <laughs> um, but Augustus has a need to feed his belly with food, with earthly pleasures, but it's never enough. And even when he first found the golden ticket and, and there's a scene of him and they're like, they're giving him food to eat. And he's saying more, 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 more. Now he has a need. And back in, back in scriptural days, there was a food was a food and sex and uh, alcohol and wine drinking. All these were earthly pleasures to satiate your natural uh, human body, the needs of your human body, right? And Augustus was one of the first kids to get killed off because he comes across this chocolate river. That's just, it's irresistible. He needs to taste it. And Willy Wonka said, this is the only thing you can't have, right? He needs to like, he needs to satiate this need to feed his belly with something, right? And he can't resist and then he falls over. It's interesting that the scene right after this, and he, well, he, he, falls, he falls into the river, he gets sucked up into this tube. Um, somebody says that he might be churned up or something like that. Uh, one of the, uh, remember those little Oompa Loompas? Um, it, was, it, it was like, it was funny. And at the same time, the scene right after this is where all the kids enter into this huge boat. And you guys remember that tunnel scene when they walk? It's called the Wonkatania. And all the kids enter in, I should have, I should have pulled a clip. All the kids enter into this boat and they go down this tunnel and all of a sudden there's all these dark images of everything. And Willy Wonka goes into a song. I'm actually going to read the lyrics real quick. It says, there's no earthly way of knowing which direction we are going. There's no knowing where, where we're rowing or which way the river's flowing. Is it raining? Is it snowing? Is a hurricane a-blowing? Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing. Are the fires of hell a-glowing? Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes, the danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing. And they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing. You guys remember that song? Vaguely. Um, What's interesting is the scene right after, like the the, the fall of Augustus Gloop, um, is a representation or 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 Willy Wonka uh commenting on on feeding into that need is going to lead you down somewhere that we don't know it's going to lead you down a path of death and destruction where we don't know where we're going but we know that we're going somewhere and if we're driven by this drive that's been um over the years guys like Sigmund Freud and different psychologists they've uh They've actually pinned this the death drive or the zombie-like drive. There's a zombie-like drive that will cause us to go after the thing that we think will give us ultimate fulfillment. For Augustus, it was food. For Veruca Salt, it was her need to feed her self-image with praise and boasting of her own accomplishments. I'm sorry, that was by the Beauregard. For Veruca Salt, it was the need to feed her desire for material possessions when she wanted the golden, the golden hen with the golden goose eggs. Remember that? Um, for Mike TV, who was disobedient to his parents, it was need to feed his attention and imagination with television, right? The zombie-like drive will cause us to go after whatever it is that we think will fulfill us, even if it means uh, our own demise. And I don't want to step on any, like, I, I don't want to pretend like I'm, uh, the pursuit of happiness isn't, isn't an, asp- uh, an aspiration that we shouldn't go after, like the Constitution says. But, if we are pursuing happiness over pursuing God and his kingdom and in his righteousness, we're always going to be looking over the hill like something better is over there, and we're always going to be uh doing things that would cause us to stumble to the left and right of the god of god's path that he's he's set out for us I'm going to unpack this a little bit if you can turn to the book of Second Timothy in chapter three, I know I'm kind of I'm kind of rambling here, but I want to get to something because. This idea of self-love is something that I know I've struggled with, and I know that many of us can struggle with on a daily basis. And the temptation is to read Scripture with eyes that are looking outwards. It's It's to read something in Scripture and think that the author or whoever's writing it is talking about somebody else or another group of people. Okay, And in this instance, this is Paul writing to Timothy And I want to just set this up really quick because Paul is actually in jail. So, and he's actually coming to the end of his life. And this is one of the last things he writes to Timothy. So think about this. It's he's at the end of his life. This is, these are basically essentially his dying words. And so I don't think he would waste it. Now I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to start at verse one. Okay. Okay. This is Paul's last letter to Timothy, okay? And this is like his, his parting message. And in 2 Timothy, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And he's going to list this out. And if if I, was to, if I was to punctuate this a little differently, right after lovers of their own selves, I would put like a semicolon right there. Because all the different 20 different characteristics of lovers of your own self are kind of listed right after this. So for men shall be lovers of their own selves, semicolon, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Turn away from such. Um, turn from such. Turn away. Twenty different characteristics of a of a person who is putting their own needs and wants and desires ahead of the people around them. Okay. So what is self-love? It's loving the self that is obsessed, that you're obsessing over and catering to the wants and desires of our unredeemed identity. It's catering to the wants and desires of an unrepentant and carnal self. Apart from God and apart from the, um, the redeeming nature, the salvation of Christ that we've accepted when we, when we accepted him. And this self, let me, let me explain this. This self is not something that we were born with. And it's kind of weird because we do need to repent and that self needs to be redeemed. But there's something that that pure image that God made you in the mother's womb with is, a, is an image that was created in the image of the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. We created this self image or this self on our own. There's three things this self is made in the image of. Number one, our lusts and our own vain delusions of who we think we should be. This self that we cater to, the one that we love sometimes more than the one that God's God's redeemed, all right, is the one that's fueled by um, the want to be seen, like on social media. You guys have smartphones, right? These things have gotten so like uh, advanced, right? There's a smartphone that's out on the market, right? And you remember when the first camera phones came out? the cell phone came out. It wasn't enough to be like a flip phone and make a, make a call. You had to put a camera on it. Right. And all of a sudden, like everything now is GPS. And then you have like access to, you know, the internet and all these things. There's a camera out now that has six. I mean, there's a phone that has six cameras on it. There's one phone out on the market that has six different cameras. There's three on the back. So you have three different like lenses. So you can like use at different focal lengths and you can take pictures and there's three cameras on the front. What's funny is that like we're, we're living in this selfie generation, right? Those cameras were put there because they know young kids, girls, even, even older, even older people or whatever. Um, they want to be able to pick up the camera and take a selfie and post it so people can see. Right. Um, and why do we do that? Because we want to curate uh, this image that we want to put everybody that we want to put online, so everybody can know that this is how I look all the time, even through all the filters that take away all the blemishes on our faces, or that lean out your face a little bit, um, or a lot of girls use these filters with like the the doggy ears and all that. They're fun and they're cool. You know, they're, sometimes they're funny. <clears throat> But a lot of times, it's us wanting to us wanting to to curate an image that we want the world to see, and online and on social media, we just get the highlights of everybody's life. And, and last last week was talking about envy and was talking about the sin of trying to compare yourself to other people. And what I mean, what a losing battle if you're comparing yourself to the highlights of somebody else's life, right? And in the list here, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all 20 things that the, I, 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 would, I would encourage you to go through that whole list. One of the first things, though, is covetousness, which actually goes a little deeper than envy. It's like complete disregard for somebody else's rights to their own property. It's, it's actually us wanting to go after somebody else's thing, regardless of whether or not we earned it or it's ours. Much like, much like it reminds me of the way David went after Bathsheba in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. Right, he had a carnal desire to be with this woman after he saw her naked in the bathtub. And rather than like go back and try and repent and think about it, he was like, you know what? I'm just gonna like have her husband killed, right? And get her um, the the covetousness, like like looking at somebody else and wanting that, right? Um, so the self is made in the image of our own lust, who we think we should be, our vain delusions of who we should think, think we should be, our self. That unredeemed, unrepentant self, that self-love, is also made in the image of what the world deems worthy. Okay? Whatever trends, whatever culture, like, can you imagine if right now um, you still thought that, like, mullets were in style? Right? And they're actually trying to make a comeback, but... Imagine like you became like the mullet king back in the eighties and then all of a sudden that trend just went downhill. Like what what are you left with? There, this is this is why people in Hollywood and even older people into their sixties and seventies, you'll see them with earrings or you'll see them with hipster haircuts, right? Super super short on the sides and long on top. You'll see older guys with like the deep V-necks and the skinny jeans and everything because because they're trying to keep up with this this image because the, the whatever the world is deeming worthy at the time is always changing, right, and this just has to deal with physical appearance okay but um, i 'm going to move on here, and the last thing this self the last thing the self is made in the images of, of is whatever the lie the enemy wants to convince us with that opposes god 's truth of who we are destined to be we 're we 're trying, trying to cater to and obsess over the needs and desires of this Whatever this thing is just a fantasy. It's, a, it's not even real. Because we're made a new creation, right? We've accepted God's love and his salvation and complete healing and restoration and transformation. Whatever that was in the past, it's not there anymore. It's a ghost. It's a some we are part of a men's group and we call it our shadow. This is this is something that wants to follow us around, but has no it has no substance on its own. It's, it's, it's the attention that we give it. <laughs> And I believe in this, in this, in this scripture, uh, in the second Timothy, it's not a warning about people out, out there. It's easy to think you see this list and it's easy to start thinking, man, I know a lot, There's a lot of people out in the world right now that are acting like this blaspheming and, and false accusing and fierce and despisers of everything that is good. But if you look at the last line, this is a giveaway to me. This is a warning to believers. This is a warning to people. I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe or maybe not true believers. But this is a warning to people in the church. Because it says, Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. The marker for the last days... For troubling and perilous times wasn't going to be like some anti-Christian rhetoric that like flooded the culture. It wasn't going to be um, the persecution of the church outwardly, out on the streets or or, or in your job or workplace or schools. It wasn't going to be government policy that we just deem was not Bible-based and not godly. The marker for perilous and troubling times in the last days was going to be the heart of people that demonstrates an extreme selfishness. Where things are, everything was catered and self and self-centered and self-absorbed. And we, what's funny is that when you look at in, you look at uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, and everybody thinks of Sodom and Gomorrah as some some town that was that actually was fraught with sexual immorality and all these things. We, that's the first thing we think of. But in the Book of Ezekiel, <clears throat> the Book of Ezekiel, the prophet actually says that the the what does he say? The guilt of the Sodomites was pride, excess of food, prosperous with, and prosperous ease did not aid the poor and the needy it was selfishness. The, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was being self-centered, right? I think this is a warning to the believers because what does it mean to have the form of godliness? But what does it mean to have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof? It's having adopted this title of being a Christian. Maybe, it, maybe it's being baptized, but never fully being immersed in the water, with our hearts and our souls. But our bodies, our bodies come up out of the water. But whatever, whatever, whatever transformation God wants to do in our hearts hasn't happened yet. What if it's, um, what if it's. What if it's just us growing up in the church, wanting to look and act and talk as if, as if, as if we have everything together and yet stop short of what God really wants to do for us. There's a commentary, um, on this scripture and he puts it awesome. He's like, he says, I don't have it written down, but he says, he says taking on the form of godliness, but denying its power is like, it's like putting on the clothes of righteousness to take away our our reproach. A reproach, which means take away the shame and, and everything that we feel like the world would judge us for. But stopping short of the power to heal us and take away our sins. There's a lot of times where I feel like sometimes it's more important to look a certain way or to talk a certain way, even come up here and sound a certain way and not submit to the power of God, the power that that comes with that, and how do we deny God's power? Is it's when we prefer to take the parts of God and His body that aligns with our own intellect, our own reason, our own education, our own religious experience? It's coming. It's coming to to, to church. Maybe when we have uh, B.J. Hilton come, <clears throat> and he, who's a, who's a, not self proclaimed, but he's a he's a he's a what did he call himself? A glory, a carrier of the glory of God, right? And, and even hearing that and coming and being like, I don't know. I don't, I, even feeling weird before we walk through the doors of a service like that, right? And being like, this doesn't really align with my, my experience with God or my religious upbringing and stuff like that. But what if that's the very thing that's like cutting you off from the power that God wants to demonstrate in your life? It's, it's, it's like me, my own intellect saying, how can somebody be healed, really? If, if somebody just says some words and lays some hands on somebody and somebody's actually medically healed, how, how does that even work? Would it work for my son Jonathan, who has autism? Will it work for somebody else who who's been dealing with 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 something their whole life? And that and, and that and that right there is what we have. Like like Les was saying, that's what we have to contend against. That's what I have to contend against every morning when I wake up and I say, God really does care. Now, what uh, I don't know, you left the thing on. Um, there is there actually is one of these kids who was carrying a form of godliness right and it 's actually little Charlie right there, you guys remember at the end like all he wanted to do was find this golden ticket because he was coming up in a he was he was poor and destitute, and he thought this golden ticket was going to be his key to happiness right and he did whatever he could to just save up enough money not to buy food for his family, to buy this chocolate bar to see if he had a chance to go to the factory right and then at the very end, we thought he did the right he did do the right thing, he ended up inheriting the chocolate factory from Willy Wonka. Uh, but he, uh, it's almost, it was almost a form of not covetousness, not envy. There's something else where he thought he thought getting this thing was going to completely change his life. Right. And even after he inherited the, the, the factory, right. Still having that mindset where even your life, you might have all the money in the world. You might have the job. You might think, you know, you might think I've done all these things to love myself over the years, you know, but I stopped the power of God from really invading and transforming my life. Um, so I'm going to wrap up here. I'm just going to say if any of those things in second Timothy, if anything like popped up there. Okay. And we've already done a lot of praying and, and, and interceding, um, out of 20 different characteristics, there's going to be something that, that we regularly will fall into, fall into the habit of doing, um, so I just want to pray that we just continue to wake up every morning knowing that, man, God's love for us is so big, it's so deep, and if it's not flowing out of us, then we just become a stagnant a stagnant place, of stagnant water, just like the Dead Sea, that there's nothing flowing out of it. That's why they call it the Dead Sea or a swamp where water is just not flowing out. <clears throat> Um, I just want to be, I want to be a conduit. I want to be a, a, a place where God's love can just flow out of me and, 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 and other people would feel it not to make myself feel better, not to, not to make my family look good or whatever, but just, just so that I could see people actually being transformed by the power that I know that has transformed me and my family. Right. God's amazing. He's done amazing things. He's going to do amazing things. And all those times that I just want to feed that carnal self And self love. I'm I'm gonna remember, man, that God has such amazing things in plan for me in my life, just like He does for every one of us. A destiny and a purpose that we don't we don't know yet, and that's okay. That that line that we were singing, like even in the mystery, even in even in even in the not knowing, man, I know that God knows, and I know that God has best my best intentions in mind, because He loves me, because I love my kids, so I know He loves me even more. Amen. Let's just bow our heads, Father. Thank you so much for such a um, such a pure and powerful love that would that that permeates every area of our life, Lord. Thank you that um, we don't have to put on a show for you. Thank you that we don't have to fake it till we make it. Thank you, Father, that we can come before you and knowing our our um, knowing our our sins and knowing our the way that we come short, Lord. That you take us the next step, that you always bring us out of out of that, and from glory to glory. That you that you're the author and the finisher. Wherever we started, we know we're not going to finish that place. We know we're not going to finish the same. And Lord, we want to submit to your power, not just taking on the form of your godliness and your righteousness to make us make ourselves look good. But Father, we want to submit to the power of being transformed from the inside out. Father, in Jesus name, in Jesus name, Lord, we want to thank you and we praise you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.